very well-meaning teachers of the Bible and preachers are fond of saying that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. When this pithy saying comes across my mind, I wonder if the people who say that have actually ever read Jesus's parables. While I have not been to an inordinate amount of weddings over the course of my lifetime, I've been to enough to appreciate that this story is not an accurate representation of wedding preparation. <laughs> Nor is this an ancient Near East version of say yes to the dress. <laughs> Instead, in the words of the Dean of Berkeley Divinity School at Yale University, Jesus is not the narrator of common sense wisdom but of unusual and confronting circumstances that cut across the reader's expectations of the world he evokes, end quote. In other words, parables are meant not so much as puzzles to be solved, but as riddles meant to confound us and leave us in awe of our mysterious God, and I can sit down after I've said that. <laughs> we are just three weeks away from Advent, can you believe it? With its ancient themes of judgment, urgency, and restrained joy. And like with any season rich in meaning and depth, there is spillage. Christmas decorations at Cherry Creek Mall in October, Black Friday on the Monday before Thanksgiving, Advent on this 24th Sunday after Pentecost. According to Dean McGowan, this parable appears as a package deal, a set of stories orbiting three ends. Jesus's impending execution in Jerusalem around the year 30 CE the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple around 70 CE, and the end of all things. I won't give a year for that. <laughs> Endings, conclusions, and new chapters are in the air. And when taken together, it can be difficult to discern between them. Did the marriage end when she left for the second or fourth time, or say you lose your job, a close friend enters rehab, and your rent is raised all within a period of three weeks. It's impossible in those flurries of disruption to appreciate which loss, which end, which rupture is actually life-altering. Jesus' earliest followers who experienced his death, the destruction of Jerusalem, and were awaiting his imminent return were no different. Which brings us to waiting, that most irksome of exercises. The 10 young women are waiting in this parable. And in their waiting for the groom, they become drowsy and fall asleep. And then there's a shout. 
He's here. The groom is here. Go out and greet him. Growing drowsy and falling asleep for the purposes of this parable comes as a natural extension of the groom's delayed arrival. And I'll take an aside here. I always point people who despair over falling asleep in prayer to comments Pope Francis made a few years ago. He said, when I pray, sometimes I fall asleep. St. Therese of Lisieux did it too. In my own life, my maternal grandmother was known for falling asleep as she faithfully knelt at her bedside every night to pray. This is to be expected, of course, of children in the arms of a loving parent. And isn't that what prayer is? And this is just where the crucified and risen Christ cuts across your and my expectations of this story. The drowsiness is not the challenge. The lack of preparation for the delay is. Now I can hear the type A people in our midst wondering quietly, okay, so get to it already. How do I end up being one of the wise young women? That's not this sermon, unfortunately. <laughs> or you can come back to the wilderness. It's a completely different sermon tonight. Consider for a moment what sets the wise young women apart from the foolish young women. Oil. Oil. The wise young women have factored in a very realistic scenario. Sometimes the arrival of the groom would be delayed in first century Palestine because of the groom's prolonged financial negotiations with the bride's family perhaps bartering over cows and mountain cabins and 22-inch rims on the latest chariot delayed the groom's arrival late into the night. This delay brings up short the women who didn't have enough oil and wasn't even a consideration for the women with enough oil. In short, the crisis will come. Be prepared for the crisis. The kingdom of heaven will be like this, our Lord says. It will be like 10 young women at a wedding waiting to process to the groom. All 10 fall asleep while waiting and are then awakened by his arrival. Five have enough oil for their procession torches. Five don't. When Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, the kingdom of God in Mark and Luke, and eternal life in John, he is referring to God's urgent, subtle, and intoxicating reign, which is everywhere and nowhere all at once. It is this kingdom, this reign, this commonwealth, this divine presence for which Christians pray and toward which God is coaxing the whole creation. In this parable, it breaks into our own reality through sleep, through drowsiness, through torches, through an unexpected announcement, through delays, through celebration. This God, 
the God who reigns through love and mercy, not through conquest or carpet bombing, the God who suffers in the crucified and risen Christ, the God who groans with sighs too deep for words as the Holy Spirit. It is this God who comes to us at our ends in death, in destruction, in disappointment, and says, I'm here. Are you ready? Amen.